Hello, everyone, and welcome to season four of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. This is episode number one. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today, wherever you are right now listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Well, it has been a bit of a wait, but we are back for 2021 with season four and kicking it off with a massive interview, which I will get to in a moment. But firstly, we do need to make sure we thank our great sponsors at Pro Swim Workouts for coming on board once again. Nico and the team's support of the show is tremendous and a massive reason why the show is still growing to today, continuing to be successful. So thank you to Nico for being a part of the show again in 2021. In terms of episodes in season four, we will be dropping an episode weekly on a Friday morning so you can get all your fix of off the block swimming podcasts once a week. And I know we were doing them a little bit more regularly during the COVID period, but whilst the swimming season is ramping up, I've decided once a week is more than enough and more than manageable for right now. Who knows into the future, uh, we may be able to ramp it back up one more time for season five, season six. But for now, in season four, once a week on a Friday, get ready for Off the Block Swimming podcast. So let's get to it. Let's kick off season four with a bang. And let's talk to one of Australian swimming's top superstars in Mr. Mitch Larkin. No more introductions, no more information needed. Let's get to the man himself as I bring to you my one-on-one chat with an out-and-out star of the pool. My chat with Mr. Mitch Larkin starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one-hundreds in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from it. On the show to kick off season four is a man who made his Olympic debut for Australia in 2012. Since then, he has gone on to become one of Australia's best, winning world championships, Olympic Games medals, breaking world records, Commonwealth records, and even being named FINA Swimmer of the Year in 2015 after his amazing world champs in Kazan. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast for 2021 to Mr. Mitch Larkin. Mitch, how are you, mate? Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the show, the podcast. I've, I've watched many and I know uh, you sort of uh, were sending me a few emails a while ago sort of wanting to get me on. But I thought, you know, what a fantastic way to start 2021. You know, Olympics have been postponed and I'm an honour to, uh, to kick off, you know, the fourth season of yours. So looking forward to having a chat today. Thank you very much, mate. And yeah, to your point, yeah, I have been trying to get you for a while, but you're one of the, the few people that didn't blow me off by just saying, oh, sorry, I'm busy. It was like, sorry, not right now, but I'll definitely do it. It's not that I don't want to. Usually people just go, oh, sorry, mate, I'm a bit busy. And you think, oh, okay, I know, I know where this is going. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful, mate, that we, we managed to, to get this happening. Now, I know you're uh, away at the moment on a training camp right now with the St. Peter's team, which sounds both, um, you know, a lot of fun <laughs> and a lot of pain to be on a training camp with 
with Dean. How has it been? Um, how have you been up there? I think it's nearly three weeks, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Um, so it's been fantastic. Um, we had a bit of a, a curveball thrown at us, you know, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, Brisbane sort of had a little bit of an outbreak with some COVID. So the original plan was to head further up north into Darwin um, and do a three-week camp there. But they sort of shut their borders. And, and last minute, um, you know, my coach, Dean Boxall, with our assistant, Maxie Sear, we were able to sort of reschedule and, and pretty much book a three-week training camp in, in the space of three days. So we're up sort of north, um, about an hour's flight north of Brisbane in a place called Mackay, which has been fantastic. You know, the locals here have been out to the pool watching us train. Um, we've got one of the best 50-metre um, pools I've certainly trained in in a, in a while, which is fantastic. And um, the locals here have bent over backwards, you know, offering us gym facilities and, and bikes and um, like you said, it's been a lot of fun, um, a lot of hard work in the last sort of two and a half weeks, counting down the main sets. I think um, after this morning's effort, we've only got three sort of main sets to go. So very much looking forward to uh, wrapping the camp off um, up on a, on a really positive note. Um, I've really got some great training in. And like I said, it's a fantastic way to start the year, you know, getting a big aerobic block in um, early into the season and then sort of, I guess, building on, on top of that and, and trying to develop some speed and, um, as, as sort of the season progresses um, into Olympic trials and then into Olympics. Uh, speaking of Olympics, mate, what's the vibe like around the swimmers at the moment when it comes to Tokyo? Because there's a lot of games being played out in the media at the moment in different countries. Some saying it's on, some saying it's definitely off. They're just working out how to tell everybody. What's the mindset like for you guys? It must be incredibly flush, uh, frustrating, sorry, as athletes. What's your take on it all? What's your mindset like coming into 2021, which is supposed to be an Olympic year, but seemingly things are still up in the air? Yeah, you're right. I think frustrating is the best word to describe it. Um, you know, there's been a couple of stories came out sort of late last week um, with reports saying, oh, Tokyo is definitely not going ahead. But we, we sort of as a, I sit on um, the athlete leadership sort of board um, with Swimming Australia and the same day those articles were coming out, we actually had a conversation with, you know, our CEO, our high performance director, um, and he was certainly you know, saying the complete opposite. They, they were saying that they'd just spoken to the AOC chef de mission, um, which his name's Ian Chesterman, and, and he sort of put out a report, which we then, um, you know, shared to all our athletes and, and swimmers just to say, look, ignore that sort of rumour mill that's going on. Um, if anything changes or, or anything was to happen, you'd hear it here first. Um, but I think for me, my best way of approaching this year is um, with the mindset that, you know, if the worst case scenario does happen and the Olympics aren't on, I've said to Dean from the early, um, even last year, I said, I want to pick a meet at some point, you know, as close to the Olympics as possible, whether it's July or August or even a bit later in the year. And I just want to swim as fast as possible. So I know that would be a massive shame and, and it breaks my heart to think, um, you know, there's athletes that are certainly peaking, um, you know, last year and then again this year for the Olympics and, and they may never get the chance to sort of, compete on a, on a world stage, you know, the Tokyo Olympics um, with the same level of success, you know, three years between Olympics is massive and it breaks my heart to know that, um, you know, some athletes might peak at the wrong time and, and they'll just miss the chance to go to a games. But like I said, you know, I think we're all training here in Australia for the, for the games to certainly be on. And um, from all the news that we're hearing, they're definitely on and, and we're very much looking forward to, I guess, it being a really positive turning point um, and I guess, you know, just that, that um, a, a meet or an event to sort of say, look, we've gotten through COVID, um, let's get our lives back to reality and, and sort of 
let's uh, let's swim as fast as we can. Yeah, man, I can only imagine how frustrating it is on your end. It's frustrating being a fan, you know, not knowing a thing's on. I loved when the ISL was on, just getting some competition back and being able to watch. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of the Aussie team missed out on being a part of the ISL for season two. You had a very successful time in season one with the Cali Condors. Did you miss being over there in season two? What did you think of it all? What did you think of the show that the athletes that were able to compete put on? Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved season one, um, you know, representing the Cali Condors. Um, we sort of, we made it to the final and um, unfortunately I think we finished third. There was some really good racing on the last night and, and Energy Standard sort of got up for the win in season one. So we were very much looking forward to, uh, I guess, coming back 12 months on and, and sort of, um, you know, trying to claim that title. And, and for those of you that have been following it, you know, the Cali Condors were actually defeat, um, undefeated all through season two, which was fantastic. Um, they sort of adjusted, I guess, some of the point systems and how it was all scored, which mm -hmm. certainly helped some of our major sprinters, you know, like your Caleb Dressel and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it was really upsetting seeing all the results. Um, there was some really fast swimming um, and sort of us being stuck at home, having to watch it, um, you know, on TV or, or sort of check the results um, as they came through in the morning when we were just trying to train as, as much as we could. So, yeah, it was really frustrating, but I sort of understand why Swimming Australia sort of took the position they did and, and just said, look, we want to protect you athletes as our biggest asset um, in preparation for the Olympics next year. Um, and so I understand that. But again, you know, seeing such fast swimming um, was really heart heartbreaking. Um, you know, you, as an athlete, you just want to get over there and just race, um, have some fun. And, you know, I was talking to a lot of the Cali Condors, a lot of the teams, they were having an absolute ball and, it was organised so well. I think there was a bit of concerns that if, if COVID was to sort of, um, you know, have an outbreak, it, it might spread to the team. But from what I've heard, you know, they did such a fantastic job with all the protocols and, and managed that so well that, um, you know, it wasn't a problem at all. And I think that is also a positive note to take um, looking forward to in, in Tokyo that if the ISL could go ahead, you know, so can the Olympics. Mate, absolutely. I, I enjoyed it. I loved, um, you know, watching it. it. Similar to you, I think the timing of, you know, when it was on was a bit of a pain. I was lucky enough to, um, you know, have it on Foxtel so I could just record it so I could always go back and, and watch. That's the only thing I would change. I wouldn't change anything else. But obviously in Australia, we're always a bit unlucky like that, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. It's always um, the time zone's not our, 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 best, our best friend. But, uh, you know, it's really nice sometimes um, the results are happening as we're sort of training in the morning. So often Dean will sort of be on his phone checking results and, and giving us an update as we're training. And I think, um, I guess there's no better, you know, motivating feeling than, you know, he telling me what, uh, what the results were in the 100 back, the 200 back, the 200 medley, something like that whilst I'm training. So it was, it was pretty cool to watch. Now, mate, this is the part of the show that I usually go right back and say, where did swimming all start for you? Season four, I'm trying to change it up a little bit, but give a similar vibe. For most of the successful athletes, and certainly the ones I've had on here, mate, there's usually a period of time that they go through when they're younger, uh, where they look and say, okay, I want to be the best in, in my sport, whatever it might be, um, you know, swimming, hockey, whatever it might be. Was there a moment for you? Was there a period of time for you in swimming where you looked at that and thought, okay, this is it. This is where I really want to get to. Was there anything that helped motivate you, you know, looking forward to being the very best that you went on to become? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I'm born and, born and raised um, Sunshine Coast, sort of Queensland boy. So 
I always grew up around water, um, you know, which was fantastic. It was sort of the earliest childhood memories were growing up. We had a creek running through our backyard. You know, we were five minutes, um, five minutes drive from the beaches up here, which are fantastic. And so I always grew up around water and then moved to Brisbane um, sort of to start primary school. And, and for me, I guess the biggest, most, uh, the biggest turning point was probably during the Sydney Olympics 2000. I actually had a broken arm at the time. Um, I was mucking around on a trampoline and, and broke it. But one of the positives out of that was I ended up spending, you know, a week home and was able to watch the Sydney Olympics um, and all the swimming on the first week. And for me, that was the first time that I, I ever said to my parents that I wanted to do that one day. I wanted to sort of swim for Australia. Um, I wanted to be an Olympian, um, you know, and I wanted to win gold. And, and I think growing up in an era where you've got, you know, such legends such as, you know, the Ian Thorpes, your Grant Hackett's, um, your Susie O'Neill's, all swimming at their best, um, certainly was a time where so many young um, Australians grew up and just idolised these people and wanted to be like them one day. So it was such a powerful, um, you know, uh, an era to grow up watching these absolute legends dominate in the pool, um, you know, at homes, home Olympic Games. So for me, 2000 Olympics was probably the first point where I said, yeah, I want to swim for Australia one day. I want to become an Olympian. And then as I grew up, um, I just sort of started to progress through, you know, regional swimming to state swimming to age group national levels. And then... It was about grade nine or 10 in high school where I was swimming for a boys' school in Brisbane um, and I just loved the competition. I loved the sort of atmosphere, the energy, um, the excitement. And that was the first time that my coach sort of ever said to me, look, if you get really serious um, and you give me sort of two years commitment to purely swimming, um, you know, let's drop all other sports, um, focus on swimming and your schooling. And he said, I think you can make the 2012 Olympic Games. And I said, you're absolutely kidding. You know, that's, that's so far out of the realm of possibilities. But he said, look, if you, if you promise me that you'll, you'll uh, do everything I say, um, you'll work hard, um, he said, you've got a really good chance. And sure enough, um, you know, I, I was able to qualify for my first senior team in 2011, was the World Championships in Shanghai. And then, you know, the following year, was able to achieve that childhood dream of becoming an Olympian in, in 2012. Mate, I love that story. And a few things to unpack from that. First of yeah. all, you had to give away some sports. What did you give away? Yeah, so I was always an active kid. Um, and I think most um, successful athletes or even athletes in general always play lots of sports as a kid. So I did lots of, um, you know, rugby with the school, athletics, um, you know, things like that. More of a, just a school level. Um, I was never really good. Um, and I certainly didn't enjoy those sports as much as I did swimming. It was the one that, where I just felt absolutely, um, you know, in my element, just loved being in the water. Um, it felt easy. It felt natural. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. So for me, it was, a, was never really a difficult choice. Um, but, yeah, I, I was able to sort of commit purely to swimming and, and certainly the results sort of really started to accelerate, I guess, in the first sort of 12 months. That conversation of if you give me two years, I think you can make an Olympics. It's one that I'm sure a lot of coaches 
not maybe make an Olympics, but they definitely give the spill. I know I spoke to my, you know, 14 and 15 year old swimmers recently about, okay, well, if Tokyo is or is not going ahead, let's look to 2024 because a lot of you are going to be 18, 19, some of them 2021. You know, if you can really hit your straps by that stage, you're putting yourself in a really good position. What's it like on the other end? I'm the coach saying it. What's it like being an athlete getting told that you give me two years and, and I reckon you can make an Olympics? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. Um, and I think the biggest and the best thing for me to say to that is you're able to break it down into smaller segments. So we looked at, you know, six months blocks. Um, we targeted specific meets. We targeted um, making or qualifying for sort of junior teams. Um, I sort of was on the, the junior team through 2008, 2009. Um, I just missed the Commonwealth Games in, in 2010. I actually picked up a silver medal at our trials as a young sort of, I think I was just turned 16, but I sort of had the devastating news from our selection panel here in Australia that they weren't going to select me, um, which, was, which was really tough as an age grouper. You know, you, you've sort of picked up your first um, national open medal, a silver, and just to be told that you're not going to be making the, the national team to head off to the Commonwealth Games. So that was a really hard conversation. But my coach at the time, uh, Michael Boll, sort of sat me down and said, look, I actually think there's some really big positives out of it. You might go to the Commonwealth Games, you'll swim the 200 medley, you might get one, maybe two swims. Um, whereas if you, if you swim on the junior team, you, you're guaranteed to swim, you know, a lot more events. You're going to sort of pick up maybe some medals, um, really be in it with a good crack to sort of post some really positive fast swims. Um, and I actually was able to do that. We went to Junior Pan Packs in Maui. Mm-hmm. Um, I raced some, uh, some pretty good swimmers by the names of uh, Chase Calise and Dia Sato in the, the 200 medley, 400 medley. Um, and I picked up, you know, a handful of medals as well as PBs and, and sort of, um, knew that I'd put myself in a much better position for that following year. Yeah. Um, and then we went into trials for the 2011 uh, World Championships, like I said, Shanghai. And the one goal was to just make the team. Um, and I was able to do that. I swam the 200 medley, 200 back and uh, 400 medley. What was it like? And that's my next question. So you led me into it beautifully. You obviously have a seasoned uh, professional at this sort of stuff. What was it like your first, uh, you know, senior team, Shanghai, you know, what, any sort of memories that stand out for you on that? Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I didn't have the, the most successful meet, to be honest. Um, you know, I'd, I'd sort of, it was a big sort of learning curve, but um, you know, looking back, it, it certainly was positive. Um, but at the time, you know, it was really um, quite a quite a difficult week. Um, I had sort of gotten into the old trap of being able to swim uh, heat swims relatively comfortable. Mm. You know, I, I was able to sort of cruise through the heats, make it through to the finals, and then post you know your best swim in the finals. But at a world championships, um, you know, as a seventeen year old, you don't have that luxury anymore. So I sort of was caught off guard by really having to sort of absolutely post my best times and if not swim PBs in the heat to then, you know, even make a semifinal. So I didn't have the best week and and I certainly, um, looking back, almost made every mistake that a a young age grouper could at a meet like that. Um, And it was really difficult, you know, coming from such a successful 2010 um, where I'd won, you know, a handful of, of medals and broken a couple of records as an age grouper to then sort of being you know, bottom of the pack, um, you know, at a senior team, it was really a bit of an eye-opener. But again, it um, was a difficult conversation I had with with Michael Boll, but we went back to the drawing board and he basically said, 
these are a few things we need to fix. And if you're able to do it, you'll be on that, you know, Olympic team in 2012. So we're able to really turn, I guess, a negative week into a, into a really big positive. And I think that sort of set me up um, to have a, have a pretty successful 2012. You mentioned there's some of the learning experiences and obviously, uh, you know, swimming as a whole has a lot of ebbs and flows and twists and turns. And, you know, you don't start out, as you said, as a teenager being a, a world champion, which you go on to do in 2015, you know, what are some of the things that you can give in terms of maybe experiences you've gone through to the teenagers out there who might be plateauing at the moment, going through difficult periods? Did you ever have thoughts of, of giving it away? It might've been a fleeting thought, but were there things that you were going through that you thought, Oh, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I've been really fortunate enough that I, I absolutely love the sport. And so my moments of, um, you know, throwing it in are, are very rare, but I've certainly had them over the last sort of, as you said, you know, 10 years, 11 years now that I've sort of been swimming at a, at a pretty high level. Um, one of the mistakes that I made was, you know, I was absolutely obsessed and fixated on um, Michael Phelps. And I remember walking into the arena, um, it wasn't even race day, and I spotted him just from a distance. And Bowley said to me, he could just see that I, I was just in a complete um, world. I was just so fixated. I, yeah. I wasn't focused. And he said, you were just so obsessed on what he was doing. You forgot what you were there to do the exact same job. Um, and so I think that was a massive learning curve for me was um, walk into an arena like that. Um, it's just like a big circus. There's lots of music. There's lots of lights. Everything's just bigger. There's a lot more hype. But everything's exactly the same as what you do when you grow up swimming at an age group level. It's still 50 metres. You still get your own lane. Um, nothing changes about the race. Um, you know, so it's really important to focus on those things and, and not get distracted by, you know, your competition, your, your Phelps. Um, and another one that threw me was um, it's quite common in, in the States that, you know, often the guys will jump in for a bit of an earlier warm-up, um, a lot earlier on. Then they'll jump out, put their suit on, and then get in for a second warm-up. And I'd never done that. And um, I remember at a meet like this, I'd see my competitors get to the pool almost an hour before me. That would already be in the warm-up. And I'd sort of just panic and think, are they doing something that I should be doing? Do they know something that I don't know? Um, and so that was a really difficult learning experience was just um, don't change your routine. Don't change what you've been working on just because someone else does something different. Because um, it works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you and, and don't get distracted by that. So that was a bit of a, um, like I said, a steep learning curve is, is I was so caught up in just seeing what everyone else was doing that I forgot, um, you know, I had a job to do. But to sort of answer your, your second question about um, did I ever want to throw on the towel or, or have really difficult moments, um, it was my second World Championships was, was 2013 in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd come off a pretty successful Olympics in 2012, where my my main goal was to basically swim the um, swim the 200 backstroke and try and qualify for the semi. And then if I could make that final, um, you know, I was guaranteed the three swims, which is you know the most um, experience I could get. Um, I wasn't was never uh, never for a second thought I'd come away with the medal. But for me to get into that final was was basically winning gold, and I was able to do that. So I went from a successful meet in 2012 to 2013 where I trained just as hard. I was in really good shape. I posted some really good times in training. Ten days out of the meet, we time-trialed with Bowley. 
Um, I pushed a 200 back um, in a pair of DTs and, and went a pretty good time. Um, I think I was 157 or something like that, which is, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then I remember going into the meet and Bolly just made this comment to me and said, you know, don't swim your final swim in the morning. Um, I knew everything was good. I was fit. I was strong. My technique was good. My skills are good. Um, things are looking really good. And if I posted a really good swim, you know, I would have been able to progress to that semi and then, um, you know, maybe the final something could have been different. But he said to me, you know, don't swim his final swim this morning. And I was next to um, Higino and Irie. Mm-hmm. And both of them were back-end swimmers. Um, and I remember swimming the heat, you know, out in front a little bit in the first 100. And then second 100, they absolutely just turned and, and disappeared. And I sort of panicked and as a result, ended up um, finishing 17th um, and just missed the semifinal. So... That was a really difficult um, point in my career. Bowley was pretty disappointed. Um, I was also really disappointed in myself as well. Um, I was getting flashbacks to 2011 where I'd made some silly mistakes. It was then happening again in 2013 and I thought, you know, I haven't learned anything. Mm. Um, and I sat with Bowley and we watched the semifinal and then we watched the final together. And, and that was a point where I just said, look, maybe this isn't for me. Um, you know, I've made some stupid mistakes twice now. Maybe swimming's not my sport. Maybe I throw it in. And I remember I ended up um, entering in to do the World Cup for the first time that year. Mm-hmm. And Bolly said to me, if you're serious about swimming and you're serious about doing this World Cup, you train through the rest of um, the World Championships and you show me what you've got um, during the World Cups. And I sort of was pretty uh, disappointed with myself, pretty annoyed at that. I thought, oh, I've done. The major meet's done for the year. What's the point of training through? Um, but he made me train and, and sure enough, you know, I was able to swim some really good results at that World Cup. And um, for me, I sort of um, was able to, I guess, re-fall in love with the sport again and, and sort of go, you know what, maybe maybe swimming is is what I'm good at and, and I uh, maybe I shouldn't throw it in just yet. I'm glad you didn't, mate, because you, you went on to, to do some pretty, uh, some pretty good things from there. You touched on something that I want to focus in on a little bit more. We sort of went around it, which was yeah. process-orientated, not outcome-focused. And you hear that a lot, and I certainly speak to my athletes a lot about that and you know, their processes during their race and not thinking about the outcome. What does that mean for Mitch Larkin? What, what processes do you need to follow to be successful? It's not necessarily what everyone's got in our copy just because Mitch is saying this is what he does. But it's, it's important, I think, to understand for the swimmers, as you said, you walk in, you see Michael Phelps, all of a sudden you, you're looking at him. You're not really focusing on what you're supposed to do. How do you handle the process also when it can't be followed? If something happens, I'll give you a very quick example. I had a swimmer in a final uh, at um, state age just in December. Um, He was, I think, ranked third or fourth in the 100 free. They walked out. All of a sudden, they had to wait. The lanes got changed. They were sitting around for 10 minutes. He's taking his shirt off, putting it back on. He had no idea. He had his process, but all of a sudden, everything started to go different. And, you know, they started to throw a few few curly ones his way. Way. how do you go when that happens as well yeah that's that's really good um and yeah so i've got some got some really good stories about that as well so for me um to take you probably back to the start it's just about um establishing a routine that i know works for me um and so that might be you know i i sort of get to the pool an hour and a half before i talk to my coach i check in um, I figure out, you know, roughly what lane's gonna I'm going to be in, who I'm next to, 
Um, I might look at some footage of a previous race, whether it be a heat swim or, or the semifinal. Um, I might have already done that after, you know, if it was a last you know, night before semifinal, I'll, I'll sort of sit down and analyse where I can improve. But again, it's about sort of um, identifying a couple of cues that you want to execute in the race. Um, and so I've got, it depends on the race. Um, I've got, for example, in my 100 back, it's about breaking out and sort of setting up the first couple of strokes before really starting to sprint. Um, sometimes in the heat of the moment, in a final, you know, everyone's so tense. Everyone wants to go from the, from the get-go. You just have to really make sure that you do hit that breakout. You do set up, you know, a couple of strokes at about 90% and then build off it. Um, and so that's something that I've really been playing with in the last, you know, probably two years, to be honest. Um, and, I think it's really been helping. That was something that I, I did really well recently at our Queensland Championships. Um, I said to, said to Dean, um, that's all I want to do is I want to break out, set up my um, first few strokes and then build the first 50 um, and do it off the turn again. Um, and I didn't care what time I was swimming or anything like that. And, and as a result, I ended up swimming quite well. I was 52-7 um, you know, off a pretty good swim and, and said that, I actually felt better coming home because of it. I hadn't sort of just absolutely rushed my stroke. And, and yeah. um, as a result, it's those couple of cues that can really play a big difference. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, you can have the best plans and you can have the best routine, but sometimes um, for factors that you you don't have control of, they can just be absolutely thrown out the window. And um, a really good example of this was last uh, World Championships 2019 um, in South Korea. Um, it was the semi-final of the 100 back. Um, we'd had some issues with the ledges. Um, some of them were slipping. Some of the guys had slipped in the heats. Um, so it wasn't a big problem. Uh, but we got to the pool and they just said, look, we're going to actually swim um, an extra two swimmers in the semi-final. And as a result, we're all going to set the ledges. I actually think originally they told us that we're not going to use ledges. And I was like, okay, Sure. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've done a backstroke start without a ledge, but you know, I grew up doing it as an age grouper. I've got some experience in it. I said to Dean, well, we're going to practice a couple in warm up. Um, you know, just see how we go. Um, at a world championship, you, you know, this is the last thing you think is going to happen. So, you know, half an hour or something passed and they said, no, we're actually going to use the ledges, but they're all going to be set to the lowest height. Um, you know, which was a couple of centimeters under the water. Mm -hmm. And again, that sort of changes your your entry um, angle. You sort of it changes everything. And my Where do you have yours normally, just for reference? Um, plus, I'm usually plus four, so that's four centimeters above the water, and they were now taken um, four centimeters yeah. below the water. Big difference. So a pretty big difference, yeah. And my first concern was, I know when they're lower, you tend to um, get much higher off the start, and as a result, you go much deeper, and um, you can actually travel a lot further going past 15. And so that was my biggest concern was I didn't want to get disqualified and, and break out, you know, at 17 meters or something like that. And so we did a couple on, on, in warm up. Um, and Dean just said to me, make sure you know your kick count, you know where you break out. Usually it's going to probably feel a little bit different, but um, you know, be a little bit more conservative if you have to. And, and as a result, that sort of transferred, um, we, we, weren't, we weren't transferring as much speed into the first 50 because our, everyone's dives were, were much slower. So that was an absolute sort of curly one, to use your words. And then 
in the final, it, it was a, a similar sort of story. I got on the bus to, to go to the pool at about, you know, it's usually about an hour and 45 before if, if the bus is about 15 minutes. Um, and we started going down the highway and I said, this doesn't look familiar. Um, <laughs> I knew I had a few of my competitors on the bus with me. Um, Clement, uh, the Russian backstroker, was there a few seats up. Um, there was a few others as well. And we started looking at each other, just thinking, is this right? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's going a different way or he knows something we don't know. But he was going the wrong way up the highway. He was actually in an accident um, before, you know, the bus trip before. So he, he had to go and stop and give the police um, his details, his driver's license, things like that. So we're pulled up on the side of this highway. You know, we've got a, a World Championships finals to swim in, in about an hour and a half. Dean's calling me and texting me saying, where are you? Yeah. Um, so it's all going on. And I, I sort of replied and said, look, I'm in a really good headspace. I'm on the bus. I've got everything I need here. I've got my hydration. I've got this and that. I've got my headphones on. Yep. Um, I'm with my competitors or some of them. We'll be there when we can. So he hands over, the bus driver hands over his driver's license details to the police. They get all the details. He then does this sort of U-turn and then starts heading back, you know, up to the highway. And, and we're sort of, I can't remember what time I got to the pool, but it was a lot later than, than I normally would and probably had about an hour and 10 um, to get ready for a warm-up mm-hmm. uh, before we race, sorry. And, and a similar sort of thing, um, we're getting all this information about what's happening with the ledges. Are they going back to normal? Are they going to be the same sort of minus four? Um, and so you, my routine was completely thrown out the window, but you sort of have to trust yourself as an athlete and just know that um, you're going to get yourself ready no matter what. It doesn't matter what time you're at the pool. Um, you know, you can do as, as a little warm up as long as you get, you know, some really important things done, whether it be speed, um, whether it be a couple of starts just to practice the new um, ledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into marshalling just knowing that I'd, I'd done everything I could in, in a shortened amount of time, but, you know, I was ready. So I think um, you just have to stay as positive as possible. And, uh, you know, anything, um, anything's possible if you sort of set your mind to it. And, and as a result, you know, a lot of us swam pretty quickly. Um, and, and sort of got through a couple of challenges that week. You find too, some people overthink, don't they as well? I know a lot of my swimmers sometimes will overanalyze everything. So sometimes having, have, every, having sorry, everything happen really quickly takes them out of that mindset and they end up having some pretty good results because they don't have time to think yeah. it's just a way you go. Yeah, absolutely. I think going into the final, my adrenaline, my energy, my excitement was a lot higher than potentially it it normally would be. It, it's something that I usually have to lift myself to sort of, um, you know, get ready to race. But I found that because we were running late, there were a couple of extra stresses, you know, that afternoon that um, my adrenaline was was naturally just as high as, as you know, any any sort of stage and Olympic final and, and uh, you know, everything was, uh, you know, was able to, ready to go and sort of took care of itself. You mentioned there just before the marshalling room. Take us inside a marshalling room before an Olympic Games final or a World Champs. What's it like? No doubt your processes before a major final. We just talked about not having the access if you get thrown out. But what, you know, do you go through yourself in there? Have you witnessed around? So give us a little insight. Also, is it different? I've asked a few of the boys this when when you're with the boys for a relay as well. Yeah, it's very different. Um, Yeah, so... Everyone, everyone has their own sort of routine. Um, and I think, you know, having seen a couple of different events get marshaled, um, I actually love and respect, you know, all the backstrokers so much that it's such a, um, 
such an honest and respectful marshalling room. You know, everyone gives each other enough space. Some people talk pretty quietly. Um, they might say some, some very minimal stuff to each other. But, you know, we all sort of have so much respect for everyone that it's, it's really incredible. Um, and hat off to the, the guys that we race. You know, I absolutely have so much respect for them. They've they got their headphones on. Some sit down. Some like to sort of stand up and do some arm shaking, leg shaking and things like that. Um, there's not a lot of talking going on, whereas I've spoken to a couple of the girls on our team um, and it's completely different. You go into a, a mixed medley relay or something like that and the girls are all sort of sitting together just chatting, um, whereas the guys are, you know, completely spread out, headphones on and, and just doing their own thing. So it's really interesting to see how the different, um, you know, genders and, and different athletes go about um, getting ready to perform. Mm. Um, but like you said, you know, there is a bit of a difference between an individual race where I like to sort of keep my headphones in and, and really be in my own head versus a, a relay where you do have, you know, three other, three other, um, team members with you. And over the years, I've sort of taken a bit of a leadership role in that where I sort of make sure that we're all there on time. I sort of mark off with our cards and, and names and things like that. And, you know, often I'll sort of just give them a little bit of a, a, a quick, you know, sentence or something before we go out and just say, you know, and that's one of the great things as well about the Aussie, Aussie team. We also have so much respect for each other that, you know, um, no matter what happens in the pool, it's going to be their honest effort. Um, yeah. You don't have to question about, um, you know, how they're swimming or what they're going to do. You just know um, whatever they've got, whatever they've got. And, and if, they, if, it, if the job can't be done, it can't be done. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's really impressive. We finished the race. There's no apologies. There's no, oh, I'm really ha- I'm disappointed with that swim. It's just high fives all around, hugs all around. Um, and it's something really special about swimming relays is that you share, um, you know, those special moments with three other people um, for the rest of your lives. You know, you're, you've sort of all lives have come together for that one moment um, and you'll, it's, it's going to be like that for the rest of history. It's a funny one with relays, isn't it? I was talking, I, I talked to a lot of the younger athletes coming through, no doubt, I don't know, some of them might be on the camp with you at the moment, but when they have their relays and obviously from the outside looking in, we think, oh, how good would it be to get around your mates? And obviously you'd be a lot more relaxed, but sometimes it's absolutely, absolutely sorry, the opposite and your, your sort of anxiety and your sort of stresses go a little bit higher because you don't want to let your mates down. Now, all yeah. of a sudden, you're not just letting yourself down if you don't, you know, succeed at, you're letting the team down as well. Yeah. In absolutely. your mind, that is not, not actually literally you're letting the team down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, um, I feel that as well. I think there's been some swims in, in my, um, sort of history of, of leading off relay swims where I haven't sort of had the swim that I'd like. Um, and you do, you do sort of feel not that you've let the team down, but you do sort of feel like, particularly as a backstroke, you feel like your role is just to, you know, set the team up. You sort of know that the Americans are going to be with us. The Russians are going to be with us. Um, you know, there's going to be a couple of other, the Chinese, uh, Zhu is probably going to get off to a great side as well. Mm-hmm. But you just know as a backstroker that um, your one role is to basically, you know, lead the team out, um, you know, maybe, maybe get a bit of ground on a couple of the other nations, but, um, you sort of know that the top four, top five nations are all going to be um, neck and neck. One of the other things is you know that usually somewhere in the pool, Adam Peaty is, is a couple of lanes <laughs> over about to sort of unleash some sort of behemoth split. Yeah. Um, and that often plays in your mind knowing that, 
um, you want to get as much sort of ground as you can. Um, the, the British teams sort of haven't had the best sort of backstrokers in the last couple of years, but I think that might change. Um, but you sort of know that Petey's going to be there somewhere ready to unload, you know, a 55-point breaststroke split, which is absolutely ridiculous. And he'll pretty much, um, you know, level everyone up or absolutely put the British in front. So as a backstroker, your role sort of is to, you know, set the team off with, with the best start possible. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, obviously stressful being a backstroker, setting it up. But, mate, if I was a breaststroker waiting and I know that Adam is coming after me, oh, good Lord. Yeah. Um, mate, you can say that about other, you know, you can yeah. say that about anyone as well. I think yeah. um, you've got Caleb Dressel, Hunter Fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one of our advantages, we've got, um, you know, Kyle Chalmers as well. So, you know, that. Um, once he dives in, um, he's going to give an absolute honest effort. And if he can't sort of reel anyone in, it, like I said, it, it usually can't be done. Absolutely, mate. 100%. Now, 2015, breakout year for you. Internationally, you know, you're awarded FINA Swimmer of the Year, smashed it in Kazan at the World Champs, and you came away with three medals, two of which were gold. Later on that year, you went on to break the 200 backstroke uh, world record. I think it was at Aussie Champs in Sydney if I remember correctly. Um, what was going so right for you in 2015? You're at your brilliant best. This is, this is Mitch Larkin, you know, just basically everything he touches turning to gold. Is it just you were injury free? Were you just feeling good? You're in the right headspace. Give us a little insight into what's going on in your bubble at the time when everything seemingly is coming up, Mitch, that year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you summarised it so well that I look back now and it was sort of a, a year where, like you said, everything I did touch sort of turned to gold and, and it was almost like I could do no wrong. And um, there's been moments in my career since that I'd give everything just to just to have that moment again, um, to go back and, and just sort of be in those, like I said, just everything turning to gold whenever I'd swim. So it was pretty amazing. Um, and I don't really know exactly what it was. There wasn't one specific thing, I think, that Um, made 2015 such an incredible year it was a combination of so many different factors Um, I trained really well like I said through 2013 2014 um, 2015 I'd I'd trained incredibly well I'd never um, to this day touch wood I've never sort of um, been out of the water for an extended period of time with injury Mm. Um, I've always sort of maintained um, you know my shoulder health um, any injuries really well And, and that's a combination of of um, having a really good team around me, whether it's physios, massage, coaches, um, you know, doing correct things in the gym. So I think that's um, probably one of the, the best gifts I've ever had was I've never had extended period out of the water. I think it's testament to your technique too, mate. I know a lot of my swimmers will always say, oh, I've got a sore shoulder. What does that mean to you? Oh, yeah. Means my technique's probably not. Yes. Okay. Well, let's, let's, rather than say, oh, I need to stop and do kick, let's look at your technique. Where are you going wrong? Obviously, you know, being so successfully uh, injury free, I think it's a testament to the work you've done on your technique as well. Yeah. I certainly do agree with that. Um, you know, we're, we're always looking at, or I'm always thinking about technique whenever I'm swimming. Um, you know, people often ask me or friends say, oh, isn't it boring when you're swimming? You're just swimming up and down that black line. But you sort of say to them that there's so many things that you think about, whether it's technique, um, whether your mind does wander, but it often wanders to, you know, the major meet coming up or or your competitor's training or, 
Um, I'm a bit of a competitive person when it comes to my training. Yeah. Um, and I'll sort of, you know, look off to, to see someone next to me and just sort of want to make sure I, I ease that a little bit in front. Um, and so probably to get back to the, the, the setup to 2015, I'd, I'd come off um, a really successful Commonwealth Games um, in Glasgow where I'd, where I'd won. Uh, I picked up a handful of silvers. I think it was three silvers and a gold. Um, it might have been four silvers and a gold. Um, and so that really gave me some really, really big confidence. Um, that was the first time that I'd sort of gone, wow, you know, I can do this. I can be a real contender, um, on an international level. Um, and that was a massive turning point for me. It just, um, it made me hungrier. It, It gave me a little bit of confidence that I needed to know that the work that I was doing was, was successful or going to get become successful. Um, and that allowed me to push even harder in all aspects. So my training ramped up, um, my gym ramped up, um, everything sort of ramped up. And, and I was just, um, you know, this young, hungry, uh, determined um, kid just to sort of, um, you know, I had the world at my feet and I, I was sort of ready to take it on. Um, and that sort of showed in, in 2015. I look back into my mindset, um, you know, before I was racing and I was just, excited to go into every single race um you know i I looked i mentioned it before where bolly had told me don't swim your final swim this morning and i remember in 2015 i said to him i don't care if i swim my final swim this morning i am making that semi-final i'm just letting loose and let's go um and i and i remember the the 100 back i think was day two of the world championships in kazan in the heat you know, we had a plan. Things were, things were really on track. I was training well. I was fit. I was fast. Um, I was really light. I was strong. And Bolly said to me, this is the plan. Um, this is what I want you to execute. I ended up swimming the swim. I touched the wall. Um, and I think I looked at the time and it was, um, you know, I thought it was like a 53 high. I didn't have my glasses on at the time. And it was only until I'd walked through the media and spoken to them that I actually saw the results and I, I swung a 52 high or something like that, which pushed, put me maybe in second or third into the semifinal. Um, and so there was no doubts or worries in my mind, you know, of previous years where I'd missed semifinals. I knew I was well and truly in there. But the question was just sort of remaining, I guess, level-headed, not let things get away from me and, and just, um, you know, keep posting some really um, similar swims um, and, and things were looking really promising for that week. I was going to ask you, quite often we see on TV, you find it hard to see what the, what the times are, you poor bugger. Do you, how often does that happen to you that you don't really know what you've done or how far, obviously, if you're winning, you, you realise that. But time-wise, is that difficult? Yeah, yeah. Some, some scoreboards um, are more difficult than others. Um, and certainly it plays a part when they're sort of coloured. So some colours I can't read as well, but... Um, this year, or last year, sorry, um, I actually promised myself that I, I need to get contacts. And so I've organized that. So now I've actually done a couple of swims now where I, where I am racing in contacts. And um, it's a bit of a game changer. You know, I can see, see the roof as I'm backstroking. I can definitely see the flags. Um, you know, I can look if I'm swimming medley or sort of, um, you know, facing the water. I can look to sort of the outside lanes. And um, I sort of know where everyone is now, which is, which is really good. Um, I used to like sort of being blind um, because when you walk out, you were in such your own bubble. You didn't really know what was going on out there. So that'll be the next thing that I think I have to sort of get my head around is, is now that I can sort of see and do have my contacts in, 
um, you know, I will be able to see, I guess, the crowd and, and my competitors. And um, it's not so much my own bubble now. It's sort of a lot more open and, and more exposed. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good sponsors at Pro Swim Workouts. Massive thanks to Mitch Larkin for coming on the show. We had such a great chat that we decided to split it into two episodes with part two dropping next Friday morning. So make sure you don't miss it. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook at Off The Block Swimming Podcast to keep up to date with all the latest news about the show. But until then, guys, have a great weekend. If you're racing, good luck. If you're training, go hard. And it's bye for now.